Let's go, Rabotai. We're continuing Holot Levavot, discussing our battle with the Yetzirah. So after he tells us about the tremendous power of the Yetzirah and what he's capable of doing to us, we got a little taste of it. I can't say we read every word of it. Lachen, he says, therefore, listen to these words. Al tit asek. Aim af milhama. Do not busy yourself. Do not occupy yourself with any war. Hutz mimilhamet hayetzer. Except for the war with your Yetzer Hara. I want to stop right there. One more time. Says the Havot Levavot, therefore, what is the result of everything we spoke about? What's the takeaway here? The takeaway is do not be busy with any war except the war with your Yetzer Hara. You have an enemy that is constantly coming to bring you down. This is a real war. Put aside all the other wars and make sure you are ready for this battle. These are beautiful words. But again, when I think about these words, I say they have no practical application. Let me explain what I mean. If he said to me, make sure you fight your Yetzirah, those words I understand. Make sure you're aware of where your decisions are coming from. Make sure you hear the voices and know who's the one that's saying it. Understand yourself better. All that I, I do understand. If the Havod Alevavod would say, make sure you fight this war. Make sure you're ready for battle. Because your enemy is waiting always for you. That I do understand. What is bothersome, at least to me, is when he says, you should not be involved in any other war except this one. So, if I was a soldier in the army fighting for my country, I may understand what he means, but also I might disagree what he means. Meaning, is he telling the soldier that is right now defending his country that's at danger he should leave the war and go back home and fight the Yetzirah does he not have an obligation as a soldier to defend people people are dying, people are at risk doesn't Am Yisrael have an army that sometimes needs to be put into use so clearly he's not talking to a guy who's in the war and telling him go home fight the Yetzirah he's not, he's not saying that 
when there's an obligation to fight, when you have to defend your family and defend your community and defend your country, that's what you have to do. Nowhere in the Torah does it say that a warrior or a, or a soldier should go home to fight the Yetzirah. So clearly he's not talking to him. And if he's talking to me and you that we don't go to war, we don't have, we're not soldiers. So what war is he talking about? He says, don't get involved in any war except the war of the Yetzirah. It's confusing to me what he means by that. Which war am I fighting now that I should hang up and get busy with the war with the Yetzirah? I'm going to read the words again so you understand why it's bothersome when I read these words. Again, poetically they sound very nice, but this is not poetry. It could be written nicely, but it's not poetry. Lachen, he says, therefore, the takeaway of all of our talks, altit asek im af milhama, do not busy yourself, don't occupy yourself with any war, hutz, with the exception of the war of the Yetzirah. So I like when I learn something, like we should all do, I like, I guess it's like a preference. The right thing to do is when you learn something, you understand what you're learning and how it applies. Very often we learn things and we keep it in the safe deposit box that's not relevant to our lives. We have to make sure that whatever we learn has some application. What does it mean? I should leave all my battles. Which battles are you talking about? So I'd like to suggest what the Havot Halavavot is referring to. I can't say with absolute uh, certainty that he means this, but it's absolutely certain that what I'm saying is true. You know, humans are born to fight, which means when we have this war with the Yetzirah, It's clear that Hashem gave us the, the ability, both externally and internally, to be fighters. By nature, a human is a fighter. He's a fighter that wants to win. The best example of this perhaps sometimes the best examples come from the silliest places because when you see something so silly and yet everybody is connecting to it so you know it has to be something built in perhaps the biggest example of this is sports especially spectator sports it makes very little sense to an outsider. Again, I say an outsider because those who are in it can't appreciate this so much. But it makes very little sense 
to an outsider who has no connection to the people playing the game. They don't like him for sure. They have no connection to him. He doesn't make money, usually, when they win. Doesn't lose money when they lose. But there's this unbelievable feeling that any fan of any team can swear he has. There's this amazing feeling of feeling like a winner when your team wins. This is something repeated throughout the world by billions of people. That when your team wins, you feel like a winner. Even though in reality, nothing happened in your life at all. Zero. Nothing happened. You feel like a winner to the point where you want to celebrate. Like you want to sing in the shower. Because your happiness is just overwhelming. You didn't make a dollar. You didn't buy a new house. Nothing happened. You didn't eat anything. But you feel like a winner. It's one thing when you're playing. Which I'll get to that in a minute too. When you're playing and you win, at least we can understand that, that it is, there's logic to that. I'm going to get to that in a minute too. But when you're just watching someone play... And when they win the game, you feel such happiness is very hard to understand. And at the same time, when your team loses and you're feeling like it's Tisha Be'av, that's what people feel. I say, Halavai, that we should feel the loss of the Beta Megdash like people feel when their team loses a game. Eleven. But that's Emet. Guy, if my team lost the game, I'm a if I'm a real fan, it's it's the you can't talk to me for at least a day. I'm not in a good mood. I don't feel good. Tears, crying. This is a reality. All types of reactions. When there's a loss, like violence, fighting, death, killing. It, it's, if you weren't in this planet and someone told you about this from an outside source, you'd say, impossible. You're talking about a, 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 a virtual reality. This can't be. Cannot be. How could it be? That people can have such a connection and feel this, these feelings to something they have really, really no connection to in reality. This is a big question. Again, it's not a question that we're here to change the way people think. That's not my question. But when you see something so silly, it's really silly. But it's being done billions of times over. You know, when one guy does something silly, he says he's a silly person. When 10 people do it, okay, it's a minyan of silly people. That billions of people are doing, 
So that's room for looking deeper into what Hashem made. What did Hashem make that brings this? And brings these feelings? And the answer is very simple. Humans have a natural desire to be a winner. Period. It's not something you have to pick up in school. You don't have to learn it from your parents. It's something inborn. Humans have a desire to win. And if they feel like a winner, even if whatever is happening is not really relevant to them, but if somehow their connection to that team, somehow they see themselves as the fan, so it's my team, <coughs> doesn't really mean anything to say it's your team, but just that alone, feeling this connection, it's my team, and my team won, makes me feel like a winner. And if my team loses, I feel like a loser. Not a good feeling. I lost. Inside every human, there is this desire. Even when you play sports, it's not as grand, it's not as a tamua, as perplexing but even then again it's natural for us when we play sports that we want to win we don't just want to have fun when people play sports they don't just want to have a good time actually the way they have a good time is because they're trying to win the good time usually isn't the game isn't that, wow, what a great shot. It's not the exercise. The good time is that I am competing so I could win. That is what most people enjoy about sports. Not the game itself. Very few people just enjoy the game. Most people enjoy the competition. Again, inborn. There's an inborn desire to be a winner wherever I can make that happen. Now, when it comes to sports, it may be silly. But it's also innocent. I'm not sure how much damage is going to happen if I play sports to compete. I'm not sure how much damage is going to come out of following a team. Besides that, it's a tremendous waste of time. But besides that, I'm not sure what damage is going to happen in that case. But this attitude... shows its face in many, many places in life. 
that really make a huge difference in our lives. This natural desire to win shows up daily in the way we talk, in the way we behave. In our, we'll call it, our vision of success, we all wake up every morning to succeed. Question is, define success. For most people, if they're not going to stop and learn and recalculate, most people in life, their success is based on them being a winner. It's not so much that I did well in school. We train kids already from a young age. And it's not a good thing. In school, you don't get measured by how well you do. But you get measured by how you compare to others. So when they gave out the valedictorian in 8th grade graduation, they didn't choose the boy or the girl who did very well. They chose the one that did the best. Even though there was another one that did also his best. And really was very successful in what they did. But in comparison, he had higher grades. But it could be that he was smarter. And that's why he got higher grades. But we don't look at that. When we give out awards, the way we give them out is on comparison. So already when children are little, we teach them that success in life is through comparison to others. You do well in school when you're better than others. You're not doing well when you're less than others. So already from a young age, not only is this a natural desire, but even well-meaning adults, even rabbis and teachers, are pushing the same ma'alach, the same system. I say it's, a, it's an evil that schools do, where they place success based on comparison. Now, you might ask that I'm also part of a school, so I'm also doing the evil. It's true. It's an evil that right now has, at least to me, no answer. Because unfortunately, the only way to get people to apply themselves to learn something they don't want to learn or something they're not really interested in, is by causing a competition. So by, we actually play to the weakness of a human being. We know that I have, a, I have a kid in front of me. I know he has no interest in being in school. Why should he? He's only seven. He doesn't understand the value of reading. He doesn't understand the value of writing. Has no interest in math. 
doesn't see why it's relevant in his life. Opens up a Gemara, doesn't know why he should learn it. Let's learn Hebrew, doesn't know why he needs it. So every subject you open up, the guy sees no value. So how am I getting this guy for 10 years, for 12 years to learn something? Imagine the first 10 years he learned nothing. What, what happens to him? Can't read, can't write. Doesn't know Hebrew, doesn't know how to learn. I mean, he could be very wealthy. That's not the problem. But he's not going to be a great human being. Can't read a book. Can't write an email. Can't really connect to people on a very deep level. So what am I going to do with this kid? Answer is, I got to play to his weakness. I know that every human has a desire to win. So if I could set it up that when you do well, you're called a winner. And if you don't do well, you're called a loser. So now I have a reason to get to him to do well. But this is a, it's an evil. Because you're teaching them that this is how success is measured. Again, I say it's a necessary evil. I don't know what other way there is to do it. I wish there would be another way. But at least, at least, that much I say we, we do. At least we talk to the students about the value of being yourself and being great at what you do despite what's going on around you. You have to constantly talk about it at least. But in reality, that's what's going on. This feeling of the need to win becomes very, very, very difficult as you move on from school and you go into real life. In real life, the world becomes a battleground. You see, what's supposed to be is that people should have a uh, desire to make parnasa. They should have ambition to make money so that they could support their family, support their children, their grandchildren if possible. Ambition to give charity and support people. There's no reason why a person going into business shouldn't have ambition. Ambition is the cause of, so of success. But the question is, what's the ambition? The ambition, if you don't catch yourself, is an ambition of being wealthier than. It's not the ambition of I want to make money. It's that I want to make more money than others. It's not so much I want to live a good life. But I want to have things that people don't have. This is the battleground. It's not so much that I want to do well. I want to be better than my competition. I want to beat them. I want to make sure they're not as good as I am. This is not only in business. It's also in the Bet Midrash. Unfortunately, when you go to the Bet Midrash, doesn't mean that you have sterling character because you stepped into the building. You have people who sit down and learn, and their measurement of success is, am I the top boy here in the shiur? 
when the rabbi has a question, does he turn to me because I'm the guy? So their measurement of success in the Bet Midrash, you have 30 guys sitting in the Bet Midrash, very hurt and very upset. Why? Because they're not winning. Because in their mind, what's called success when you're better than others and you're not recognized as better than others. But you're doing great. You're a beautiful person. You're learning beautifully. Your character is wonderful. You're growing in life. You're, you're a great person. But comparatively, I'm not getting the recognition. People don't see that I am the guy. This continues in a person's life in every area in life. Person gets married. One of the worst issues in dating that people have is that they can't find the right girl or can't find the right boy. And very much has to do with this inborn desire when they go out with someone they're not looking if that someone is the right person for me they're comparing well is she as beautiful as this one I mean she's beautiful enough you're attracted to her. that's enough that's all you need you don't need more than that no but that one is more attractive is this guy super wealthy well he's wealthy enough he can afford to get you an apartment. He can start working. But the other guy has more. He has more money. In all areas. It could be money. It could be looks. It could be... Torah. It could mean anything. When you start dating, you do comparison. And that's not a way for a person to get married. It, has, it makes no difference what the other people are doing. If this person works, is the right person for you, then make it work. But unfortunately, so many people are confused. But they're not confused because of the person. They're confused because in their mind, they're looking at everybody else. This continues beyond marriage. It's even to raise our children. When we look at our children, again, we're comparing we don't look at what's best for my son. I'm not looking at what's best for my daughter. I'm always comparing. I'm looking to see who's better or worse in a certain area. When I come to build a home, the answer, the question of how to build a home is, build what you need. Enjoy your home. But unfortunately, this attitude could enter in there too. And it's not so much the nice home that I want to build. I want to build something bigger and better. And that's where I feel good. Buying a car, same story. The way I dress, all that needs to be done when you dress is to look nice, to look mechubad. But again, unfortunately, when we shop, especially women in this area, when they shop, it very much is comparison. It's all about how I compare to others. And not, it's, it's all over. A person lives their life by comparing themselves. And they're not able to be happy with their marriage. Because look what they're doing. Social media, especially, has taken this to a new level. 
We're a happy couple. They're happy. He's doing okay. She's doing fine. There's no reason not to be happy. But then they have all these pictures and videos that are flying around from different places and they're not there. Wait, wait, why do, we, why do they go there? I don't go there. That means I'm a loser. They would be called a loser. You've seen kids call their friends losers. You, they don't say you're not happy. They don't say you're not good. You're a loser. Nothing worse than being called a loser for someone who has a desire to be a winner. All of a sudden, you're on your trip. You're enjoying your few days with your wife. It's fine. But then you get this picture and video like, whoa, I don't get, I don't get a seat on that yacht. I'm on a little boat, four by ten. My boat is basically, I was enjoying it. I was enjoying the rocky little boat that I have. Then I see this guy on the ship. And there I, I thought I had a nice vacation till I saw that guy. I'm in the water with this little paddle boat and the guy is flying by next to me, making waves. I, oof, I was happy till then. And I realized what I could have had. Where I vacation, what I buy, where I live, what I build, everywhere. This attitude is in every, you could say, almost every area of life. Where instead of looking to do what's good for me, and instead of enjoying what I have, the winning attitude becomes my goal in every area. And in reality, winning means nothing. Doesn't make you a winner or a loser if you're not doing what other people are doing or not. Winning and losing has nothing to do with anybody else. You can enjoy your life tremendously if you stay within your life. That's what the Gemara tells us. Mishnah says, Hakinah, right? Where does jealousy come from? What is jealousy? Definition. He has something I don't have. And by the way, I may not need what he has. And by the way, for sure I don't need it. Because if I need it, God will give it to me. Jealousy is a person who lives their life continuously comparing himself. It's very hard to live your life that way. And it's very hard to enjoy people's success because of that. Oh, she got married? It's like, of course I say mabruk, but it's getting down for me. What does that have to do with you? Because now she got married and I didn't. She won. I lost. It's not so much that I'm not married. Not being married is not so great. But it's also not Gehinam. It's not Gehinam. But it is Gehinam when 10 people next to you got married. And you didn't. Why? Because you're in the same mindset. Oh, you're comparing. They did. I didn't. I don't have a child. They do. Having a child or not is not so easy not having a child. Agreed. But it makes it so much more when I feel like a loser. I didn't get married. I'm a loser. I don't have a child yet. I'm a loser. 
I'm not making billions of dollars. I'm a loser. I didn't build a 40 by 100. I'm a loser. I don't have that car. I'm a loser. In reality, you can enjoy everything you have. But not when you feel like a loser. And this is how we go through life. Says the Mishnah Perkei Avot Jealousy. Where does jealousy come from? This attitude. The attitude of having to feel like a winner to feel successful. And winning means to be above you. It will take you out of this world. What does that mean, take you out of this world? It means it will not give you a happy day in your life. You're always going to be looking in front of you or behind you. Because you're never going to be satisfied. Because there's always someone better looking than you, more popular than you, wealthier than you. There's always something, someone that's going to be ahead of you. But who cares? It's not where you are. It doesn't mean anything. If you live your own life. And honor. You need to be recognized more than others. How come they got that? How come I didn't get that? You and I have seen some amazing things that people have done for kavod, for honor. Honor is the feeling of needing to win. Not through my car, not through my house, and not through my business. Needing through win through popularity, through being recognized. I need to feel a winner in that area. You have no idea how many mothers and fathers when it comes to graduation of their children, of course, those who are relevant, the bottom 80 are not relevant. But the top 20%, your son is doing great. Your daughter is doing great. She studies every night. She works hard. She's a beautiful person. How many mothers and fathers are on eggshells? Literally. You will not believe this. But if you asked your kid, you would realize that. If their children are going to get the recognition of winning valedictorian, salutatorian. It's not a good thing. Anyone who has those feelings, it's not a good thing. It's not something a father or mother should want for their children. You should want them to do great. But you should not care if they get recognized or not. Because by the way, when you care... They see how much you care and now you build up this already natural feeling and make it real and important. And now they actually feel like a loser when they walk out of graduation and they didn't get what they're supposed to get. A father and mother that's smart tells their children, it doesn't matter. We don't need that. You do great for yourself. That's not real. It's not, it's not sketch talk. It's real talk. We don't need that. It's not important. What's important is what you accomplish. That's what a father and a mother should teach their children. But unfortunately, without realizing, parents teach their children about these things. And I'm giving you one example. There's so many other examples where father and mother, well-meaning, play into this weakness and make things worse for their children. We spoke about sports, but not, not in this area. Sometimes the kid, with parents with their kids in sports... They become so competitive that their children, if they didn't make it to the top five, so then they, 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 they feel like a hazik is. Again, not an appropriate way to train your children to be happy people. 
competitiveness was not created for this purpose. Hashem gave us this inborn desire to be competitive, to be a winner, but not for this reason. There was a famous story about a Dayan in the city of Brisk in Europe. There was a judge and somebody came to him, he's a rabbi, and there was a butcher of the town that came to him because he had a question on the animal that he slaughtered, if it's taref or not. So it was, a, it was a, I guess, a borderline type of question. So he went to ask the rabbi, what does he think? Now this is a cow that's worth a lot of money. He goes to the rabbi, the rabbi looks at it, he tells him, taref, no good. Okay. Tells the rabbi, thank you very much, appreciate it. Guy comes to court sometime later. He has a dispute with somebody. Someone he gave money to or whatever it is. And uh, during this court case, the rabbi hears both sides. Ruling on this case, the rabbi says that I'm sorry, he tells the butcher. I'm sorry, I feel like he has right. You're not supposed to get paid. Or you're supposed to pay him, whatever it is. This guy, he goes wild. He's yelling and screaming. All kinds of things coming out of his mouth. All types of things coming out of his ears. Okay, it happens. People get upset. You have to understand where they're coming from. The rabbi goes home and he's baffled. He says, I don't understand. He's thinking to himself. He came last month. The cow was worth thousands of dollars. When I told him it's not kosher, he kissed my hand and said, thank you very much, Rabbi, I appreciate your time. And he left. Today's court case was $100. He lost $100. And now he's going crazy. It doesn't make sense. So he went to ask the great Rav Chaim from Brisk, Chaim Salvechik. He asked him, says, Rabbi, could you explain to me what's going on here? This is what happened last time. This is what happened this time. What's going on? Rav Chaim told him like this. He said, I'll tell you what happened. He said, last time, there was only him and the behemah. That's it. He lost the behemah. He lost the animal. No problem. It is what it is. Sometimes in life, you lose money. But this time, it was against somebody else. And now he lost to somebody else. Before, he wasn't a loser. Before, he just has to, he lost his animal. But he didn't lose to anybody. But now you lost to somebody. When you lose to somebody, now you're a loser. When you're a loser, it doesn't matter how much money. It makes a very big difference. The, the, the great Hafez Hayim tells a story. I don't know if it was in this town or near town. That somebody in the town, a Jewish fellow... He had a big problem with the mayor. I don't know why, what the problem was, whatever it was. It was a big issue with the mayor of the town. And he, they argue with each other and he's very upset with the mayor. He comes home, he tells his wife, he says, that's it, I'm committed, I'm going to bring that mayor down. The horrible person, I'm bringing him down. 
His wife says, calm down. What, 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 what are you going to do? We're going to bring him down. He says, I'm going to go tell the government how he sketched by giving certain, uh, for, for young boys, giving them, uh, um, you know, for the army, what do they call that? Exemptions. How certain boys got exemptions for the army and they really don't deserve it. I'm going to don't tell the government. I'm going to bring this mayor down. His wife says, how could you do that? If you do, your own son got the exemption. If you tell the, about the mayor, they're going to come after you. So I don't care. I'm bringing that guy down. Whatever happens, happens. That sounds like a crazy story. But I'm sure we've heard similar stories and similar, similar words. That's competition. I can't let you win. There's much more on this subject, but I'll stop for today. But I'd like to suggest that this is what the Havot Levavot is talking about. He's saying the feeling that you have to fight, to be a winner, to go to war. That's a feeling Hashem put inside of you. And you should use it every day. But unfortunately, you're using it in a war that you're not supposed to be fighting. That's why the Havot Levavot says, don't go to war with your neighbor. Don't go to war with your competitor. Don't go to war with your wife. Don't go to war with your friends. Don't go to war. What are you doing? Don't go to war with the, with the team that, you play, that, that, that plays for you or that you, that you root for. Don't go to war there. Don't waste your energy using this God-given gift of going to war to be a winner. Don't use it for anything else because it was only given to you for one thing. Why did Hashem give you this vehicle? Why did He give you this desire to be a winner? Because there is one war you have to be constantly fighting your whole life. That's to win the Yetzirah. And that's why Hashem gave you that feeling to constantly fight. But when you're fighting all the other nonsense wars, then you won't be able to fight the Yetzirah's war. That's what he's telling you. He's telling you you have to choose which war you want to fight. If you want to choose the Yetzirah war to fight, which is really going to make a big difference in your life, you got to put aside all the other wars and you got to focus on this one. But if you fight all the other wars, you're not going to be able to fight this war. That's the Havot al-Lavot's amazing advice to all of us. Be'ezeshem tomorrow, we'll continue a little more on the subject. Have a good day.